what we've got here is failure to communicate. Nine times. Mr. Brown. Mr. White. You know, for kids. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blue. Mr. Orange. Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? I see dead people. 1.21. Their obsession. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Their words. I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? I drink your milkshake. Someone else's movie. I'm a god. You're god. I'm a god, not the god. Directors, screenwriters, actors, and film fanatics record feature-length audio commentaries for the films that changed their life. I want you to get up now. How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. That's the sidetrack. Do you think you're out of tune? Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. I'm totally kicking myself. I was going to download the voice changer app and say, I am Mike Snoonian. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I didn't do it. But I'm Mike Snoonian. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> I mean, we can do we can do things in post. Yeah, you just That's you can, true. We can pitch you up. We can pitch you down. We can put our, right. We'll our, fix it in post. <laughs> our robot filter. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome and a little creepy. <laughs> well, happy Thanksgiving. We hope you are having a wonderful day and that you're able to rest and relax. Uh, maybe you're spending time with loved ones, although if you are, we really hope you're being safe. Uh, maybe you're eating some delicious food. However you're celebrating, we are so grateful for you and that you chose to spend some time with us. Um, and speaking of being grateful, I'm so grateful to know our guest for this week. He is just one of the most positive, supportive, and uplifting people I have ever met. It kind of blows my mind. Um, he's the editor-in-chief and founder of Ghastly Grinning, and We Are Horror. He writes for Dread Central, Bloody Disgusting, Haw Creek Horror, and Consequence of Sound. Whoop, whoop. And he is a co-host of the Keep Screaming podcast, Ryan Larson. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm very excited. Um, I've been a fan since episode one, and... Uh, Love all your guys' separate work, obviously, too. And I'm also really excited to talk about this movie because it's 
actually my favorite movie and I never get to talk about it because I yeah I pigeonholed myself as the cursed guy so (laughs) (laughs) so that's uh you know um that's my own curse now is that everyone's always like hey man you want to come talk about cursed and I'm like I guess like (laughs) I feel like I've said yeah I feel like I've said everything there is to say but like I'll hang out so sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad you're here to hang out with us today, even though we're talking about a different movie. Um, And it's one of my favorite movies, too. So I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, This is a comfort horror episode today. And comfort horror is the horror we watch when we're feeling low or stressed and we want to feel better. It's our go-to when maybe we're having a bad day. Um, The horror movies we keep coming back to. And I'm really loving these episodes as much as I love really digging into a topic like grief or PTSD. Yeah, I'm finding it really interesting to kind of talk about how these movies that are designed to scare us actually can make us feel better. And today we are talking about the original Scream. Yay! (laughs) So before we dig in, uh, we're going to read a brief synopsis of the movie. We begin with one of the best cold opens in horror. Casey Becker is at home making popcorn and preparing to watch a scary movie when she's called over and over again by a raspy-voiced, threatening creep who may or may not be spying on her. While playing a deadly game of horror movie trivia to save the life of her boyfriend, she inadvertently spoils the ending of Friday the 13th for a new generation of fans. (laughs) She is attacked and murdered by an unknown assailant that will eventually become known as Ghostface owing to his creepy costume. Cut to Sydney, a high school student in the small town of Woodsboro, whose mother was murdered nearly one year ago. Sydney's leering boyfriend, Billy, is impatient for her to be over it so they can get it on and shames her for her physical boundaries while insisting that he's just trying to be supportive. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just started to join you on the ground. Yeah, I feel like it it didn't really work. I'm sorry. No, I love it. Sydney is attacked by Ghostface, and the rest of the town starts getting stabbed to death left and right, leading to a curfew and canceled school. But never fear, on the case are lovable Deputy Dewey of the Woodsboro Police and ambitious reporter Gail Weathers, who wrote a book accusing Sydney of falsely identifying a man named Cotton Weary as her mother's killer. Sydney's friend Stu throws a school's out party where Sydney's best friend Tatum is murdered with the help of a garage door, and her friend Randy drunkenly interrupts a horror classic to recite an oversimplified version of Men, Women, and Chainsaws. As it's eventually revealed, the killer is none other than Billy, (gasps) aided by Stu, (gasps) a true killer couple. Billy reveals that he also killed Sydney's mother, motivated by his slut-shaming belief that she destroyed his family by seducing, air quotes, his father, and now he's ready to finish the job. As for Stu, he was probably just bored or in love with Billy, but above all, totally psychotic. (laughs) With the help of Dewey and Gail Weathers, Sydney takes down the killers, cementing her position in the pantheon of beloved final girls. So now let's move into our feelings check. So let's go around and talk about our first experience watching Scream and how we feel when we watch it. And Ryan, you chose this movie and I'm really excited to hear about your first experience watching this movie. Um, yeah, so Scream probably came to me later than everyone else because at least in like in the generation uh, that we grew up in and like when it came out, um, my mom had a rule 
that I was I I was obsessed with horror and my mom it's so funny she's like lenient on everything else but like movies were the one thing where she was like no rated R movies and I was like okay and her rule was only black and white um, horror movies so I grew up on the Universals um, and that's why I, I like love those but this movie I didn't get to see till it came out you know on VHS because. Uh, I had to sneak over, not sneak over, but I had to stay the night at a friend's house, and I had to rent it there because it was the only place that I could. And I remember wanting to watch it because it was advertised so prominently in all of the comic books that I read. Um, that very famous poster, you know, with Drew Barrymore's, like, face on it is just, like, right mm-hmm. there on every page of my comics. And I'm like, what is this? I want to I see it. And uh, so, I, I, God, I don't know exactly how old I was. It was definitely, like, right after I came out to VHS, though. And, um, you know, we rented it. And, it, like, I've loved horror for a long time. Um, I usually credit... My mom bought me X-Men number 159, which is X-Men versus Dracula. And, and so I usually say I fell in love with comic books and horror on the same day. Um, oh, it's a real meat cute. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I was four years old. So, um, oh, so wow. I feel like I've loved horror for a long time. But Scream is what made horror my favorite genre and, like, made it my passion and my lifelong like obsession now um Mm -hmm. and it all goes back to just like that first time watching it um i think it just like really blew my mind honestly that first time that i watched scream and just like i remember sitting there just me and him in the dark of his room like hell late at night just like watching it and I, I mean, I feel like this is what most people, like, felt like when they watched Scream, because I obviously, like, grew up on, like, watching sci-fi movies, like, reruns of lots of the Fridays and Nightmares and, and those kinds of things, and, like, watching it and just being like, it's about all those movies, but it's, <laughs> but it's now, <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. and, like, these kids are, like, around my age, and, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, there was, it just clicked with me, you know, and it really set me into, I think, my lifelong passion for horror. Yeah. Oh, that's great about you. God, so this is the movie that revitalized my love of horror. I'd been like a horror fan all growing up, like reading Stephen King at far too young an age. And like Ryan had parents who'd let me read anything, like bringing home books from the library about Vlad the Impaler with like (laughs) woodcuts of people impaled on stakes, like totally A-OK. R-rated horror (laughs) movies, not so much. So we would like... You know, had the old cable box where if you, like, would slip a can under it, you would get all of the stations. And then you would wait till the mom and dad would go to bed and then, like, watch Cinemax and HBO and all the horror movies. But mid-90s, like, horror is kind of, you know, I know it's gauche to say this, but, like, it wasn't that good. Uh, I'm sorry, but there was, like, some real lulls. And Scream comes out, like, I think Christmas? It might even be Christmas Day. But it was released like end of the year, and I had a tradition with friends that I was to just go to a movie on Christmas around Christmas Day, and this is what we watched, and it just blew me away. Like absolutely, I was still young enough to kind of recognize myself in some of these characters. Definitely fell in love with Rose McGowan in this <laughs> movie to the point where I like blind bought the Doom Generation on VHS. Still haven't finished that movie because it's so terrible. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, and then it just became like, I want to get my hands on every single horror movie again. Like anything that was coming out in theaters, like we were there to go see. And all like, I know what you did last summer, 
urban legend, Valentine, um, all of, like the new wave of slashers that would come out after this. Still to this day, like adore this movie. It's probably in my top five horror movies. It's really close between this and A Nightmare on Elm Street in terms of what is Wes Craven's true masterpiece. You can argue for both and have a really mm-hmm. compelling argument. Uh, it's just so smart. The last time I watched this was over the summer at a drive-in where they did a, a double feature of Scream and the Blair Witch mm. Project. And I took my daughter to see it. She was probably the youngest person there, but there were a lot of teens there. And to see this movie still resonate years later, it's, it's a really wonderful thing. You know? And I know there are like slasher purists that say, no, it's like... It's the 80s or bust, and these 90s slashers really aren't up to par with the golden age, but... They're I mean, their own thing, you know? It's, it's, a, it's the first in a line of movies that I think turned on a lot of people, like a generation younger to me, that to horror. And I think that's a really wonderful thing. How do you fault a movie for that? Exactly, yeah. Laura, what about you? I, I think I also saw Scream for the first time around when it came out on VHS because I, I just very specifically remember watching it, or you know, right around then and my mom being in the room and she got really upset when Drew Barrymore got stabbed. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so I, I, as I've discussed on the podcast before, I was a fairly sensitive child. Um, so, similarly, I could read just about anything and it wouldn't get to me that badly. But watching horror movies took me a little longer to get, uh, I don't want to say desensitized to, but get acclimated to or be able to handle. Um, so I wasn't really as into those mid-90s slashers in in their hey, 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 hey day. Their hey day. Uh, <laughs> hey. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, what that means. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so like it, it was a few years later that I, the, the movie that really broke me and got me like, you know, I broke bad and got really into horror with was Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, and so when I finally got back around to the Scream franchise, having, you know, gone down the road of 80s slashers and 80, and campy 80s shit and all sorts of other ghosts and witches type stuff that is still my more my bread and butter um i ended up really appreciating scream a lot more than i ever could when i was a kid or a tween uh so especially having rewatched the whole franchise basically for our ptsd episodes um i gained a whole new appreciation for it and i think they're just such it's just such a fun franchise even three which is definitely my least favorite of the bunch is like just really fun to watch like every everything mm-hmm. and and the, and the original is obviously the the OG for a reason and it, it's just so much fun. Mhm. Yeah, I th- this is one of my all-time favorite movies and I um I have this memory of walking into the theater to watch it and I was 16 and I had just gotten my driver's license. So like I was, and I had driven to the theater. It was one of the first times I'd ever like driven myself anywhere. Um, And I was meeting friends and I remember like I had just gotten the skirt for my birthday and I was wearing it. And it's just like this awesome memory of just kind of being young and having fun. And I was like thinking about this guy I liked. And then I watched this movie and just, it, it just blew my mind. And kind of similarly, I had been really into Stephen King, but I had avoided slashers because 
Freddie, Michael, and Jason really scared me. Like, I, I don't think I had seen any of them, but I knew the imagery, and I knew, like, they seemed very, like, faceless and very, like, menacing and, like, lacked a lot of humanity, and that really scared me, so I had avoided a lot of those slashers. I also, I think I was really afraid of, like, the gore and the, the kills. And I think, now that I'm thinking about it, I think this movie, by the way that it talks about the horror genre and the meta quality of it, I think it kind of allowed me to package those movies in a way that felt safer for me to watch them because they're talking about the rules. And it's like, okay, well, if there are rules, there's there's some kind of structure, there's some kind of safety. Like, I can watch these movies. And this, so this really kind of ignited my getting really excited about horror. I think I'd always been drawn to Stephen King, but um, those adaptations can be really hit or miss as much as I love him. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes yeah. <I> <laughs> yeah. And, like, I love... 90 slashers I think if there's one genre of movies that I love more than anything it's it's the 90 slashers and I mean they have a lot of faults but I think a lot of it just kind of connects to this time period where I was just kind of falling in love with the genre and there's a safety in a lot of them like the the stakes feel a little glossy and not necessarily low but just like they're the beautiful people and they're getting slashed up and you know it's the um, the whole aesthetic kind of makes you feel a little safer I think it's not super gritty yeah right yeah and that kind of that really appealed to me now I really dig the gritty stuff but um this was just the perfect kind of entryway in to me for horror especially as a really like analytical person I think the meta-ness of it really spoke to me a lot and I was like oh Okay, I can be like Randy. I can I can know a lot of these movies. So I just love and then Sydney, of course, is just my everything. I just love her. <laughs> so let's move into talking about um more specific things about this movie and why it's comfort horror. Um so given the way this movie makes us feel, why do we find it comforting? And Ryan, I would love to know why you picked this as your comfort horror and what is it about this movie that comforts you? Um, I think there's a lot of things, there's lots of things, and this movie has, like, found its way back up to, like, the, it always, like, finds its way back into my heart, <laughs> right, as, like, my number one, for so many different reasons. Um, it, it's really what made me fall in love in, with, with horror. Um, slashers is my favorite genre, so it's what made me fall in love with slashers. Um, Sydney's my favorite final girl, um, because I love her mm. entire arc, but I also just love in this movie, like, how much of a badass she is and she's logical and she she's smart and she fights and um and like i i grew up around very powerful female like figures in my life like my mom and my grandma are like uh two of the toughest people i've ever met so i was just like yeah that's that's women <laughs> like yeah. right there that's like that i was like yeah that's exactly how women are like why are all movies showing this um it was also filmed uh, in the fictional location, obviously, of Woodsboro, which takes place between – it's in between Windsor and Santa Rosa, which wouldn't ex actually exist because Windsor and Santa Rosa are, like, smushed together. But um, that's where oh. I grew up. So there was, like, that whole part, like, the scene in the video store, that was my video store growing up. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Video was, like, literally down the street. My dad and I would go down there and rent movies. So, like, there was that kind of comfortability to it of, like, this is actually home. And then – just over time, I think it's, it's, I've just, uh, I, I grew to like really love Wes and always came back and just thought it was so smart. Like, I think Wes literally reinvented the genre twice. Um, and this is like the second time he did it. Um, you know, I thought like New Nightmare was like 
him dipping his toes into seeing how meta he could get and then um with this he really fully explored that and like really created a whole new wave of slashers which was like wonderful and then also um my best this is my best friend's favorite movie and we didn't know that when we became best friends um so that's something we've like that's who does the keep screaming podcast with me and like scream has it's just like our movie and like we just dote on it and adore it and then um even um like to go further into comfort horror like after my divorce when i was like reeling and like for a while i couldn't focus on anything like i couldn't make it through a comic book or a tv show or a movie um scream was the first movie that like i really sat down and was like i need to find something that i love again and like remember Mm -hmm. and ground myself really and scream was the movie that did that for me like going back to scream it just like at that point you know 30 at 30 years old um it was like this feels so much like home like it's comfortable Mm -hmm. it's a comfortable movie right like i don't like if i don't want to i don't have to pay attention to it but like it sucks me in every time and you just i just love the characters and i love the world and i love everything about it so much that like i wanted to come back to woodsboro (laughs) and um and (laughs) yeah and that's really like so there's so many different times that it's kind of like found its way back into my life to even further up it as like my comfort horror movie um and Mm -hmm. and it's like it relates to so many things it relates to family and friends and and loss and and all these different things but um i think like the that's kind of just why it's like it's weird to say but it's like it's just been there for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. no that's i mean that's the power that's the power of of film right and like Mm -hmm. and media is it can really feel like this parasocial thing that like you know it sort of stays the same in a world that is chaotic and i think you know when you connect to horror and having it be a horror movie that's that old friend i think is super fun so I, Mm -hmm. i completely get it yeah that's one thing i think part of the reason this is so comforting for me is because of the soundtracks because i loved loved them and i think i listened to scream 2 soundtrack more but like i push play on this movie and it's like this blanket of like memories washes over me and i just i get sucked in the same as you and i just love it and it just reminds me of this time that i didn't have a lot of stress that i have now and i'm like it's, it's just yeah the the music is such a mixed bag for me because it is so painfully 90s. I mean, everything about these <laughs> movies are like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm almost type. I've talked about this before on here, but I'm like ve- hyperventilating because I feel like I'm literally in a time warp. And like that, that my childhood was like, eh, you know, eh. I mean, so I had moments that were good and, the, you know, and I have those positive associations, but I have a lot of negative associations with that whole vibe. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it's just like, oh, boy, here we go. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah. This definitely was like chain wallet Mike and I used to have a coconut that was like looked like a gorilla um attached to the chain wallet just because no reason just you know that was my fashion choice so that yeah sounds definitely like the there were some things too. yeah everything about that there are yeah. some <laughs> things going on there um it's the, I have one note on the Scream uh-huh. 2 soundtrack. I will never not bring this up. So you have the whole sequence with Sarah Michelle Gellar, which is like a really great like stock and slash sequence. And she gets this horrific death. I mean, like it's probably the most horrific death in the whole movie. And 
not even like three frames after this really tense scene ends, it cuts to like a <laughs> pop punk Everclear song. It's the weirdest mm. fucking music cue in any horror movie I, ever. I think and... that kind of speaks to the lightness of these films, right? And I mean, if we're still talking about Scream 1, but I mean, it's the same It's the same kind of like, it's just so effervescent. Like you can't even linger on the death because mm-hmm. by the next scene you're at like a, par- like a party with your with, like, drinking mm-hmm. beer with your friends. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's, uh, you know, for, yeah. I, I made the, the hang 10 hand gesture with, with that noise. I feel like they were sort of connected, so I'm sorry you couldn't see it. But oh, no, yeah. we can hear the hang 10, yeah. <laughs> you can hear the um, hang 10, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because this is a brutal movie. Like, these kills are, like, hard. And what always strikes me and makes me cry is Sydney's mom when – nope. Uh, Casey's mom mm-hmm. when she's on the phone and she says not my daughter and it always makes me cry and then just thinking about like these are not this is not Freddie Michael or Jason that have no connection to these kids like these are their friends and like these are kids that we have watched through the entire movie and it is like it, it is a really dark plot when you think about it but the there's such a lightness to the movie that I think keeps it from going into that devastating place and I think a big part of that is because the characters are written so well and you just like even Stu who's a murderer like a psycho killer you love him and I loved Billy when I was in high school and I think yeah it's um, hard I mean that, that that character was designed to confuse teenage girls <laughs> and it really did yeah yeah and speaking of because maybe we can kind of start moving into the characters favorite scenes favorite things that we love um one of the things I noticed this watch about Sydney is that she really holds her boundaries firm you know and for a 16 year old girl like when Billy comes over into her room and it's the the slow don't fear the reaper scene like she's like no no this is it she, it's already established that that's her rule and i think that's really impressive and to meet her off the bat as this person who knows who she is and knows what she wants even though she's going through this terrible thing i think is really impressive and it's really like inspiring to a lot of girls like this one i think mm-hmm. what i think west did that so well right because I mean, one obviously one of the reasons I love the movie is because of Sydney and like her arc as a final girl, and like being able to mm-hmm. see her through four movies is fantastic, and we're really lucky that we got to. But even with just this one, like West did that right with Nancy too. Like you go back yes. and yeah, you go back and watch like slashers from the eighties, and like conventionally, like even someone who is as memorable as Laurie, like Laurie was forced into a circumstance, and like at the very last minute she fought back and happened to not even really win but hold michael off long enough for loomis mm-hmm. to show up and really end that altercation whereas like nancy and then sydney both west creations like i mean like nancy was making like homemade bombs <laughs> yes she read one book <laughs> yeah. one book on I- improvised explosive devices and then she yep. was fucking just within that whole sequence with her just beating the shit out of freddie yeah <laughs> like, never, yeah. Get, never and on old. no sleep i know yeah and like sydney is very like sydney has already endured a massive amount of personal like trauma um she is like still suffering from that and she she never allows herself to be taken advantage of she very rarely puts herself in a situation where like she could possibly be in like in danger she like she doesn't drink at the parties like you, you never notice that like sydney is definitely not partaking in the parties like her friends are like 
I hadn't noticed that. Uh, like Sydney to me is just like, and like one of the reasons again, I love, I love this, and I love Wes, and I love Kevin. Um, is like the way they write that character, and um, mm-hmm. so Sydney, and then like also just speaking of favorites, like I love Kevin Williamson. Dawson's Creek is one of my all time favorite shows, um, mm-hmm. and I mean obviously cursed um which which was also kevin and um Mm -hmm. just everything he touches like to me is so good to be able to still be that old and still write movies that still feel relevant like he was Mm -hmm. at this point he was probably what in his maybe 30s writing teenagers in the 90s um and i just love teen so teen drama is like my other big thing right it's like i got horror mm-hmm. movies and then i love teen dramas like i'll watch <laughs> i watch gossip girl one tree hill riverdale it doesn't matter like give it mm-hmm. to me and like slashers is where those meet in the middle right it's like <laughs> teen drama with horror i'm like yes yeah. uh, <laughs> and then it's your personal venn diagram yeah, yeah exactly and then when you throw in kevin williamson's script i mean because you know he follows this up pretty much immediately with i know what you did last summer um which is like uh like has all the gloss of scream but is actually more of a callback to 80s horror but still mm-hmm. just like the way he writes his characters it's like you said you just like these characters which makes the movie hit that much harder there's a lot of fun to be had in like the 80s horror movies where you up the body count but you don't give a shit about those characters um right it's when you actually start to really care about the characters that you like are invested and then that's when you fall in love with with a movie I- i'd say there's a lot of 80 slashers where you and i think west craven's nightmare on elm street and really all of the elm street movies like what they do really well is they give you a bunch of characters you really like like you really like the teenagers i just argued this in on my other show when we talked about the elm street remake like with the original nightmare on elm street you get a sense of loss like when glenn is taken away when tina is killed when even when rod is killed um you get a real sense that there's this real loss there um something has been taken away that can never be given back you don't get that in the remake where it's just misery porn from moment one even the friday the 13th movies like you like the kids in part one part two (laughs) part three um part part four in particular like that's a great (laughs) fucking group of kids you really enjoy spending time with Yes, there are a lot of slashers where you're like, all right, it's body count time. Like, by the time you get to Friday the 13th, part mm-hmm. seven and eight, you're like, who gives yeah. a shit? It's a lot of the late, um, later installments you know, in all these franchises and the more der- derivative yeah. knockoff films and stuff yeah. like that. They t- like kind of took, I think you, you might have said this mm-hmm. on a previous episode, either Mike or Jen, it's like they took the wrong lessons from that mm-hmm. era of horror and just started making stuff mm-hmm. just to be edgy and you know get lots of bodies on the floor yeah yeah what's what scream does well that a lot of the slashers that follow in its wake do not do well is Mm -hmm. you believe that this is a group of friends like i know people love i know what you did last summer what a hateful group of kids like there's just no one in there I, that's like. Lovely. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, I'll fight. I'll fight. I'll, <laughs> I do too. I'll fight yeah, for yeah. her. Uh, Julie is okay. the worst. And mm. but I also do think I will say I think Kevin wrote it that way of showing sometimes friendship is circumstance of um, proximity. Uh, yeah. Like those, they were forced to be friends because they mm-hmm. were the popular kids in high school, and it even shows just what a year removed does because they come back mm-hmm. and they like barely know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they've all split off into completely right. different directions. Yeah. You know, and even if this tragedy hadn't happened, mm-hmm. you know, it 
is, you know, arguably that's a lot of times what happens when you go to college. And I mm -hmm. think one thing about Scream that keeps it in that that lane instead of like the later Friday the 13th and the later Halloween's like you're almost you're starting to root for Michael and Freddy. And um, I feel like Scream yes. never really goes into that territory and mostly because we've got Sydney always and she's constantly there. And then. We've got Gail and we've got Dewey. And I was watching this the other night and I was struck by how unlikable Gail is for a little bit of the movie. Like I had forgotten that she was this really kind of cutthroat reporter, but she's still likable. And like she is a beloved character. And I think that just speaks to how well she's written and how nuanced is like you can see her kind of questioning this ambition that she has and really just kind of becoming a human being. And I think lesser mm -hmm. movies or a lesser writer would just let her be like the bitch of the movie. Right. Pre presenting the character's vulnerability and letting yeah. you see be below the facade, you know, it instantly mm -hmm. wins you over. It's like for good like quick cheap writing tip you know <laughs> like right present them one way and then let us see you know what's in the cracks i'm making a weird hand gesture while i say that <laughs> the pairing with dewey definitely softens yeah. that's what i was gonna say it, yeah. if you don't if you don't have that in this movie like i don't think that gail gets that kind of redemptive arc yeah and i think it helps that they have great chemistry yeah just with each other as mm -hmm. they're married for how many years you yeah know? you can really feel that chemistry in every scene that they're in and i like that it's not the protagonist that gets this kind of love arc necessarily like sydney especially throughout the franchise she is really on her own path like she has some moments of, of romance but like ultimately her story is her story and mm -hmm. it's it's gail and dewey that get the little will they won't they you know, mm -hmm. lasting romance arc it's just again it's like slightly left of center in terms of what you expect from wrote plotting and, and stock characters that makes these this ensemble memorable in the same mm -hmm. way that a Dawson's Creek or a Buffy ensemble is memorable. You get to stay with these characters and really get to know them and love them. Yeah. Well, and part of that is because we, as much as I love Sydney and I do consider her a final girl, technically, like, she's not the last one. Like, we have four surviving characters in this movie, and three of them have continued on through four movies. And I think this is kind of an evolution in the the final girl kind of trope and to put it in Stephen King terms it's like this is a quartet and this is <laughs> they are a quartet <laughs> <laughs> they're like they but they work together and they like support each other and like when you see them reunite in the next movie like Sydney gives Gail a hug even though they've had this kind of really tense relationship for a lot of really good reasons and I I love that that there's that feeling of warmth and that Sydney has some support because Gail is really the one who saves the day at one point. I mean, they all kind of work together, but if not for Gail, Sydney probably would have died too. So she's not surviving on her own. And I think that's, this is one of the first times that we start to see that, but now we're starting to see it more like with the new Halloween, which is a matriarchy. And I will never stop talking about how awesome mm -hmm. that is. Where, where is everybody on Randy Meeks? Because I, I'm sensing like, there's been like a reevaluation of his character in the past few years that I am not on board with. <laughs> Randy is the unfortunate like reply guy. Like that's <laughs> what he has, the internet has deemed him as, right? Because mm -hmm. he's kind of just like, I think it's hard. It's hard to like woke test things from the, from the past, right? Like I think that's something yeah, yep. we run into a lot because like for the, da the time, like I think all of us were on a horror podcast together, like 
we've all been the Randy Meeks in our situation, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. we've all had mm-hmm. to explain the rules or, like, done these things. But there are certain things about Randy. Like, he takes it upon himself when no one asks him to. He inserts himself into uh, conversations. Um, he doesn't mm-hmm. really know boundaries or social cues. And so, like, do I think Randy is as toxic as the internet portrays him to be? No, definitely not. But do I think that Randy was reevaluated and literally repurposed as Kirby in Scream 4, but, like, done better? Yep. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. Kirby is kind of the version of Randy that, like, fits in today's model in society. But Mm -hmm. I don't think Mm -hmm. Randy's, like, a bad person at all. No. Uh, I just think he's, like, Randy is the friend that, like, wouldn't be popular if his friends weren't popular, but he is. Mm. So he, you know, has what does he bring to the table? His wide, vast knowledge of pop culture minutia. So he has to mm-hmm. shove that around as much as he can. He's he's very much on the periphery of that friend mm-hmm. group. Like you can tell that like he's a little bit on the outside looking in, and he's also very aware that he's on the outside looking in. I think there's a maturation of him that happens between Scream 1 and Scream 2. For sure. Um, that I think goes unacknowledged. Like, we call him, like, the reply guy, but I think he's a good case and, like, people can change. And, you know, I see him and another character that I love in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, I'm a Xander Harris guy. <laughs> and I know, like, people despise him now, and they're like... But they'll, like, root for Spike. And I'm like, oh, Spike, the guy that sexually assaults Buffy in season six. Okay, That's we're going to have to go down said, this road again. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Not our, I, first, our first Buffy <laughs> argument and not our last. Well, I, I will say I don't, I, I don't mind Randy as much as I mind Xander. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and, mean, and Randy has more. I mean, Xander has more issues, but that's because there's 144 episodes of Xander. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to revisit some of these things before I propose my rebuttal. Mm-hmm. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah, I haven't but gotten to that season I th- yet. <laughs> I think that. Sorry. No, um, no, no, you're fine. <laughs> Randy, like, very much is knows he's on the and tries very hard to fit in. And I've been that person mm-hmm. that like is not the most popular person, and like you just want to do something you can to impress the people you're around. So like, what do I have that can impress people? And it's like, I have this like absolutely like microscopic level of detail knowledge of horror movies, which Billy also has. And, but Billy uses it for purposes of evil. (laughs) Let's put it this way for murder. Yeah. You know, and I think part of it is like Jamie Kennedy's performance. Like it's so over the top. And I wonder if there's a little bit of like Jamie Kennedy would go on to do like prank shows and I wonder how much of like this dislike of Randy is kind of like a dislike of that kind of humor that became very pervasive in the late 90s, early 2000s of that kind of like you you have a hard time removing the performer from the performance. Mm-hmm. OK, if you could pick if any other 90s actor to play Randy. Who would it be? Who oh, would gosh. soften his nerdy edges for you? Well, you know, <laughs> Matthew Lillard, but then we lose too. So can't do that. Yeah. Right, right. Now what about think, of, think about this? Yeah. What about Pacey? Oh. Oh. No, I God no, God no. No, I love Pacey. Joshua Jackson, Joshua Jackson is nails on a chalkboard to me. <gasps> Honestly, if, I am offended, I could... sir. <laughs> 
Wow. That well, it was a pleasure being wow. on the show. Goodbye, <laughs> Mike. Wow. Wow. Oh no, I love Joshua I think he Jackson. He aged like oh. fine wine, my friend. Uh huh. Have you seen the affair? That salt and pepper I'm beard. Have, have to look him up. I haven't. Also, looked at like Jackson he is the most re- like greatest character in dawson's creek like way better than dawson mm-hmm. ever is oh my yeah, god yeah for you know, sure oh yeah but that's not that's like being the best tree in your elementary school play <laughs> oh my i think you're god. killing right so i i we're doing urban legend for my other show uh, and i've had the pleasure of re-watching that a few times and i gotta tell you like the 15 minutes that he's, oh, he's on great, screen right are the most it's, they're just so they're his cat you know his performance is great because you know i'll say this his performance is phenomenal in that movie he's exactly who he's supposed to be in that movie but my wouldn't God, that character kind of be so like maybe he would right? like that character is yeah. very similar yes. to be like on the outskirts mm-hmm. of that friend group trying to fit in so doing mm-hmm. what he can i think it's like one of those things like we see it all the time on twitter right it's like problematic favorites and like this i don't think mm-hmm. this movie mm-hmm. fits in that category but randy does as a character right and like it's mm-hmm. silly mm-hmm. to look back because we all related to randy for a long time like we 100% mm-hmm. did, but we can also, we all have, you know, we're all real beings that exist in a in a progressive timeline mm-hmm. where we can go like, oh, even though I relate to that character, a lot of the things I was doing were kind of douchey. Um, mm-hmm. And like, we sh- mm-hmm. like, that's not how, like, we can be, we can still be the fan without being that fan. And, and it's just one of those things. And I'll just, I'll posit that perhaps the reason a lot of people are really annoyed by Randy now is because he reminds them of themselves. You know what I mean? And I think that a lot of these, obviously not all characters, like some characters are just straight up like problematic in the sense of like, oh, they like the revenge of the nerds. They sexually assault a girl, you know, like that kind of thing is pretty cut and dry. But a lot of these characters that are kind of in that gray area, they're, they're kind of like an annoying creep, but they're not like... They don't do anything technically mm-hmm. that bad. I think it's like, oh, we see a lot of ourselves in those characters because we all grew mm-hmm. up in that in that culture and in that era. And a lot of us are anybody that's getting into an argument on Twitter about this is going to be a fucking nerd, myself included, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and <laughs> so, you know, of course, you're going to see some of that and it makes you bristle because you're just like so embarrassed by how, how you know, your own thought processes. So right. that's my mm-hmm. thinking on it. I mean, I, I think of Randy and in, in, as the movie goes on, he's obviously into Cindy. But he never like makes a move or acts inappropriate. Right. With and that's her. why I, you know, I don't and... hate him. I thought, you know, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy's kind of a twerpy nerd who won't shut the fuck up. But like, right. he's not. He doesn't really do anything. He and in, right. in a lot of ways, he remains a good friend to Sydney despite having feelings for her. He never gets manipulative with her. Right. You know, yeah. there, there's there's nothing where I would have been like, cut this dude out of your life. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. If it were Devin Sawa <gasps> or Seth Green uh, in that role, Seth Green oh, actually would have been perfect. Because mm-hmm. there, were, I think, would have been a, and I think where Jamie Kennedy really works in this role, and I really do think he works in this role, mm-hmm. is because his performance is so much sweatier <laughs> and so much more off-putting. Because, like, you know, Matthew Lillard is going for it in this role. Oh, is he going for it? <laughs> but, <laughs> he goes for it. But he he goes for it in a much different way than Jamie Kennedy does. And like, Mm -hmm. even though like you, okay, you could see why people would gravitate towards Mm -hmm. to in high school. You could see him having a completely different experience in college Mm -hmm. 
as people tend to mature. <laughs> yeah. But in high school, like, people would flock to someone like Stu. Mm-hmm. You know? Same with Billy. Like, they're the cool guys. Yeah, they're also, and like, Seth tall Green. and hot. You know? It's like, right. you're yeah. you know, it just is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got I the mean, party Matthew house, Willard, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Matthew Lillard is a very handsome dude. Ooh, speaking of aged like a fine wine. And I love... Mm-hmm. I can yeah. never... I was just going to say that I can never unsee him as his character in Hackers. Yep. So that's just what's mm-hmm. like burned into my retinas. So I can never mm-hmm. find him attractive because I just see the tiny, tiny sunglasses and the, like the weird hair. Anyway, a, carry on. A serial killer. I've never <gasps> seen Hackers. Zero Cool. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, that's a great... You got to watch. I mean, yeah. I talk about fun 90s. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, I love how as time has gone on, like, we all collectively yeah it's like we all woke up one day and everyone just realized they're like holy shit matthew lillard was so good in scream <laughs> uh-huh. it's like we all finally that light bulb just went off somewhere it's like Wes craven like died and like that was the last thing he did was like hey wait guys <laughs> just remember and we all like woke up the next week and we're like holy shit this was amazing and like mm-hmm. why are we just mm-hmm. now realizing how hard he went and like right I, <laughs> yeah, yeah he went ham <laughs> yeah and i think it is yeah. that thing like when we're all teens you have sydney you have billy billy's all hot he's sucking on his fingers he's got the hair <laughs> and you know <laughs> yeah and so yeah. like you're distracted and then you get older and like matthew lillard who compared comparatively to skeet ulrich in that role is the less attractive one he's very like loud it's almost like it's almost camp and like but the older you get you realize you're like holy shit that was an amazing performance and like I mean, that whole mm-hmm. sequence now, the final showdown in the house, especially when they're in mm-hmm. the kitchen and oh, and, God. and Stu stabs, or um, yeah, Billy stabs Stu, like, that's like my favorite scene in the movie. Like, when Stu's mm-hmm. losing mm-hmm. blood and he's like, he's like, did you really call my parents? Like, <laughs> uh-huh. Like, oh, yeah. I just, they're gonna be so like, I just, like, Stab me, you dick. <laughs> that, like, that scene now has become, and like, I think that's another reason this movie works so well, is it's bookended so powerfully. Like, mm-hmm. the first scene is so good, and, like, you have this mm-hmm. really, it, like, terrifying, like you said, it's the, like, br- most brutal kill, um, and then, like, it's bookended with this, like, amazing performance by, you know, particularly, like, those three, um, uh, Lillard, Ulrich, and, and Nev Campbell, and so I think, like, yeah. part of the reason this movie works so well is because it starts really, really strong, and it somehow also ends really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, which is really hard to do, and and in the middle, it's pretty entertaining too. Uh, right. I I would yeah. I would give good money, pay good money to see if they had filmed it concurrently, like the natural born killers, like thrill spree of of Billy and Stu. I would just love to see them in like a convertible, just killing mm-hmm. folks on the like on the road in like old timey mm-hmm. America. Anyway, this is just a little aside. <laughs> Well, it's so funny to me watching this now. I guess funny is maybe not the word, but it's interesting because I think about that scene at the fountain with the five of them. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, I think, just because it's just the five friends and it's really not the shit hasn't really hit the fan too bad for these characters yet. And just watching that knowing that Billy and Stu are both the killers and see how they interact with everyone. And it's just it's really eerie. And I think chilling. Yeah, my love, because I was so into Skeet Ulrich when this movie came out, like that he was my favorite part in the craft, too, because I was like, just I don't know. Um, I think I had some different 
feelings about guys back then that I've kind of reevaluated his, now. His character in the craft is a huge. I somehow, I mean, I le- I know he's technically less of a piece of shit than his character in Scream because he doesn't actively murder anyone, but he's like mm-hmm. far more immediately repellent. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's like when I think about like a seesaw, like Stu was way down here on the, and Billy was way up here, and then slowly over the years they have just completely flipped, and now mm-hmm. I just I love Stu, and I think that. Billy just feels so predatory in this movie and it's just it is now really off-putting to me and I think when I was younger I read that as like this is what guys who are into you do yeah you they're know? so confident and, and he's so into me yeah yeah, yeah. right and why horrible. why can't I just get over it you know <laughs> yeah and now I watch it and I'm like I actually wrote fuck you Billy like five times in my notes yeah. mm-hmm. there's a sense of entitlement mm-hmm. that comes in Billy's character that he's just owed yeah. things um mm-hmm. Whether it's like sex from his girlfriend, um, whether it's like mom sticking around after dad's had an affair, um, or whether it's just adulation, like, you know, Stu just following him around like a puppy dog. And it's just really like, it's toxic masculinity distilled Mm -hmm. into one haircut and smoldering look, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. That's something, too, that this movie does different is you look at like the slashers that are huge, like... Halloween and Nightmare and and Friday, all of those movies other than the first Friday, um, you know who the killer is, right? And like, mm-hmm. Scream does this weird mm-hmm. thing where you know who it is, kinda. We all know it's Ghostface. Like, we know mm-hmm. it's Ghostface. He has a voice. Um, like, mm-hmm. you know, we like he has a persona. He's sarcastic. Mm-hmm. He is predatory. He he plays with his food essentially. You know, mm-hmm. um, but like, we know the character of the whole movie. And like, but we don't know it. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something too that Scream really did different. Mm-hmm. That kind of like threw Slasher fans for a loop too. Because really it's like not since, I don't know, Pamela Voorhees have we actually like known a killer like most of the movie. But like Scream mm-hmm. even goes like a billion times bigger because it's like, no, no, you don't just know them. Like you've hung out with this person. Like mm-hmm. you know their yeah. background. Like, you, and, and then they're like, and there's two of them. Gotcha. Uh huh. Yeah, got your ass. Yeah, and then it's it's every one yeah. of these movies is also a whodunit, right? It's yeah. Like a, and and the and yeah. the killer is. I think I said this on the other Scream series too. Is not omnipotent. He they are a human who has decided to kill a bunch of people, and I think that that really changes the dynamic while allowing for the meta ness. And, and mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It's just like. Good writing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just killing people. It's killing, like, your girlfriend or, right. like, your former girlfriend. It's people that you know. And I think that that's a level of, like, coldness and psychopathy that is really chilling. But it does not come across as chilling. It's like, oh, yeah, it was him. And then you watch it again and you're like, oh, yeah, that, that scene is weird. It's closer to, like, My Bloody Valentine, Happy Birthday to Me, The Prowler, Sleepaway Camp, where, like, you follow this group and you know it's one of them but you don't mm-hmm. know who it brings back the whodunit and it's something that like the 90 slashers like this this kind of like silver age of slasher movies those movies keep that what what scream did is basically they're all whodunits mm-hmm. it's much less about let's create a new iconic horror movie villain and it's much more about let's have this like cool mm-hmm. whodunit and some i think succeed better than others like rebecca gayhart oh. in urban legend is like Stu turned up to mm-hmm. eleven in the best way. Um, oh yeah, I mean she absolutely like nails her Pamela Voorhees mm-hmm. moment, and I really like that about about these. You know, I do like the kind of like Bond villain aspect to 
these movies where like Stu and Billy have spent the entirety of the movie trying to kill Sydney. And now that they have her incapacitated, they're like, now we will lay out everything <laughs> yes. for you, which they, we weren't going to do like f- six scenes ago when we were chasing you through right. your house. Now we're going to like lay out our whole devious plan while you slowly yeah. escape. So. Well, and there's a betrayal element to it also, which I think is different than some of the slashers that have really, or the big three, I think, um, because they're basically strangers or at least kind of distantly connected. And so like when I think of the 90s, and Alexander West wrote a great book about 90s slashers called, um, I I can't remember what it's called, but I'll link the name. Um, But it's, um, she's talking about the 90s and how comparatively that was a pretty like safe decade. Things were going pretty good. There was a feeling of like- Security. um, Yeah, 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 security. Mm -hmm. That's probably a better word than safe. And I think that the- element of betrayal where this is the killer that you've known this killer all along is kind of speaking to that like yes it feels really secure right now but I mean are you sure everything's fine like is there something underneath that you're just not quite sure it's almost like yeah we all knew we were in a bubble that was just about to burst in ways Uh we couldn't fathom (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it was Yeah, the late 90s were the end of like the chicken in every pot era of America where you did feel like not much to complain about. Like I look back at the late 90s and I'm like, had my first like job where I made a lot of money, um, had like my first real adult relationships, first apartments with like really good friends, like what a, mm-hmm. you know, able to go to like shows whenever I wanted to, like things were really mm-hmm. good and it would soon come all crashing. <laughs> I think that's something yeah. that like these this era of slashers does, uh, especially like West was really good at it. Um, like particularly in like suburbia, like West takes a situation, and like you look at you know the slashers of the late seventies, early eighties was a direct response, you know, to the kind of like the feminist movement and then also reaganism and like yes. ultra conservatism and these movies are more it's like you guys said like we were in a more secure spot so like what does west do he examines like what happens when you are white suburbia like what are the things and it's like mm-hmm. like you said it's like this sense of betrayal which i really like it resonates in, with me a lot it's like it's it's like my anxiety disorder like straight up of just like mm-hmm things can be going really really well and like great and you're still looking over your shoulder kind of being like well who like what's gonna happen like what you're mm-hmm. waiting for the other shoe to fall and like there are those times like this whole sense of like who is it like it's all these people you know like that's kind of the life i i feel like on my worst days that i'm like or on my hardest days that i'm living it's like i know all these people all these people love me like but which one of them is out to get me or like which one of uh-huh. them, which one of them's mad at me um you know oh, so yes. like I feel- for me it's which one is about to die at any moment yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like west taps into like he was able to and like the rest of them kind of ape this but like i feel like he was able to be like yeah like this is a relatively safe decade so like what happens when you do are an upper middle like what what plagues an upper middle class you know white person and it's like anxiety like because it hits all of us so like no Mm -hmm. one no one is above that so um that's that's like another thing i love about like this cycle of slashers that scream kicked off Mm -hmm. totally 
one of the things that Craven interrogates really well, and he started to do this with New Nightmare, and I think he's much more successful here, is he interrogates the role of, like, media in terms of, like, shaping our psychological Mm -hmm. development. Um, New Nightmare is very much uh, an introspective look at, like, has my work in this genre... um, has it done any harm to other people? Like, am I unleashing something into the world that is changing people's psyche and causing, you know, people to do evil acts? And I think what you see here through the lens of Billy and Stu is, like, you see how shaped Billy is by these movies. And I would say Stu is much Mm -hmm. less so. Like, Stu is just, like, whatever you want, Billy. Like, if Billy went to Stu and said, you and I are going to train for the two-man luge for the Olympics, <laughs> Stu would have been like, okay, Billy, mm-hmm. whatever you want. Like, I think that that's really... I, I feel like Stu is very much in love with Billy. Um, Billy is very much... He's he's Randy taken to the mm-hmm. nth degree, and he's learning all the wrong lessons from this media. And I think in some ways, Wes is examining, like, if this media is omnipresent, if it's so widely available to people, because this is the height of the... Mm-hmm. Look at that video store in mm-hmm. that scene how many kids are there and how much is available. Like, Ooh, your lead suspect is in the psycho murderer mm-hmm. section. And I, I just feel like he's Craven is like, do we bear any responsibility for this? And I would ultimately come down on no, that you don't mm-hmm. like the, the line movies don't create psychos movies make psychos more creative. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's very tongue in cheek. And I think that that's, what the moral majority might point to, but I don't think that that is truly the case. Yeah. For my eighth grade paper, I did, uh, it was called The Music Made Me Do It, and it was kind of exploring. I read Tipper Gore's book about violence in the media, which is <laughs> interesting. Oh, but Tipper like, Gore. Oh, I know. But it, it's interesting because I know that there is, that there originally was going to be no motive. And then, and they even say that it's scarier when there's no motive. And then, but Billy has this motive. And I'm glad that he does because I think that really informs a lot of the dynamic between him and Sydney. But like mm-hmm. Stu really doesn't. Like his motive is just like, whatever like this is what we're doing right now this is like I was hanging out with Billy and we cooked up this plan so let's go for it and I Mm -hmm. had not ever really read it as him being in love with Billy although I could see that I think I just kind of read it as like what else are we gonna do you know I don't really care and that's another thing I think when we look at like kids in this time period especially kids who are more affluent like what does he have to lose what what does he not have like he's just looking to Mm -hmm. kind of like thrill seek because he already has everything he needs and everything he really wants you know and some girl broke up with him and he doesn't know what to do with those feelings because he's never really Mm -hmm. had to deal with bad feelings before and so this is how he handles it you know there's a moment where Stu, when billy is explaining he's laying out the motive for everything and Stu is looking on at billy with this look that's part awe in part surprise. Mm-hmm. And I've always read that as like, Stu didn't know Billy's motive mm. up until that moment that like for Stu, like you said, like there was going to be no motive. Like Billy might as well just do this for kicks. Mm-hmm. But when he lays it all out, like Stu is kind of hearing that for the first time. That's interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if anyone no, else agrees with that. It, it's yeah. Just, I hadn't thought that before, but a, I like it. It's such a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. For the actor to make, and I can see Craven really, because there's a, I think I have it in here in my notes from way back when I wrote like 20 pages on Scream. 
I survived scene 118. Mm. Like the all the stuff in the um, house took so long to do. It was so meticulously laid out that I don't think a look like that is on accident. Mm. But I also think Craven, unlike a lot of directors, trusted his audience enough to come up with their own interpretation of what it looked like that late. Right, which I always love more. I mean, I, I hate when there's a ton of exposition and they have to spell everything mm-hmm. out for you. If that was right. the case here, I think it would diminish it greatly. And that's why we're still talking about this movie how many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and speaking of looks, this is something that I keep thinking about, and it's partly because of the scene in Halloween um, when she's killed by Michael, but she still thinks that it's Bob. When, like, Casey at the very beginning, when she is dying, she pulls the mask mm-hmm. off. And I know that there are, like, I know a billion people have kind of analyzed this to try to figure out who the killer is at what point. And I've never really kind of been super interested in that, but I do wonder who it is that she sees. And it's got to be Stu, I think. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like, that he is frustrated because she broke up with him, and this is how he's taking it out on her. And I also kind of feel like Stu is the one who kills Tatum also. And the rest I kind of ascribe to to Billy. And I don't know if there's really Mm -hmm. any way of proving or disproving that, but that's just kind of always the way I've read it. And it just kind of, it's another level of heartbreak for Casey because, like, this person that she trusted is murdering her. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's been laid out somewhere, and I know you're going to hear. It's the first thing. If you type in who killed who, mm. the first thing that Google populates is who killed who. In oh, really? Okay. Uh, so let's see. Yeah. Are we oh, are we okay if I run through it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. According to the Scream fandom wiki, mm, okay. Maureen was killed by both Billy and Stu. Okay. Steven was killed by Billy. Casey was killed, and it says both Stu and Billy, so I'm going to attribute that one to Stu. I do agree the one with, with you. The actual mm-hmm. knife, yeah. The uh, yeah. Principal uh Principal Hembry, Billy. Tatum, Billy. Mm. Kelly, Stu. That would be the um tech. Uh mm. yeah, mm-hmm. and then it's Billy and Stu are the other victims. So now, does does this Wikipedia cite its sources? Mm. <laughs> right you think it'd be in the script uh, somewhere i think they do Stu is like pretty prevalent at the party when tatum is killed so i could yeah. i could see why that would be billy um because they're also pretty good about like both of them playing each other bouncing off each other to ensure it's not the other i feel like mm-hmm. right yeah. There's definitely been some ink spilled on that, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And it's not, it's never really something that I've interrogated too deeply. And because I also think like it doesn't really matter to the enjoyment of the movie because like mm-hmm. I just read it as who I want the killer to be in that moment to fit my kind of understanding of who these characters are, which is why I kind of ascribe Stu as killing Tatum even if that's not necessarily who it is. And it makes sense logically that it wouldn't. I also think like, like Matthew Lillard is so physical in this role that it just suits Ghostface because Ghostface, like he's just kind of bumbling. And that's one of the things that I love about this movie is that the killers fight back or that the, the victims fight back and they really like get a lot of good Mm -hmm. licks in too. Mm -hmm. Um, I also love like, she walks out on the porch when she knows that there is a killer out there. And that's uh, has always struck me as so brave. Maybe not the smartest thing to do, but just like, right. I'm not going to let you terrorize me. I'm not going to let you make me afraid of you, which. Right. Bravery and stupidity are often intrinsically linked. <laughs> you know, 
It's, yeah. But I also think it fits like with her arc because we don't see her do that through like through the rest of her story. We see mm -hmm. her confront the killer. Like I'm thinking of that part in scene two when he's in the police car and he's, you know, she goes back to see who it is. But like, I think that speaks to being like a secondhand witness to trauma versus right after that, it immediately becomes her own trauma that mm -hmm. she's processing. Right. Like she had been probably so wound up over the course of this year after having her mother murdered that she was like, and I, I mean, I can on a much lesser degree relate to this feeling like spoiling for a fight. Like, you want to come at me? Mm -hmm. I've been waiting. Come at me, bro. You know, and mm -hmm. you're just you're just fucking waiting and wound up and ready. I also think that there, there was some God, why did I start saying this? There was some study <laughs> that I can't remember the specifics of that was like when you people do, quote unquote, like heroic things or throw themselves into danger. They're more often than not acting on instinct. And it's literally like not a choice that you make. It's just like something in you is just like and you like run toward the danger mm -hmm. or do it. So I think it's often an instinctual thing. Now, do I want to try and analyze this 90s slasher movie from that perspective? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. Do we think that because we talked earlier about like how there's like the big reveal at the end and it becomes the Bond villain moment? Do you think that Stu and Billy would have killed Sydney in that moment or would have killed her in the bathroom in the high school? Mm. Or do you think that was more like Pennywise would say salting <laughs> the meat so it tastes better mm -hmm. later on? Was it about making her afraid so that like the eventual kill would be that much sweeter? I do think they wanted to terrorize her for sure. I'm not sure mm -hmm. when they would have finally, you know, sealed the deal, but I do think that they probably were planning to kill her that night at the end because they, yes. you know, they stayed it. But well, um, And that's the anniversary also. Right. It was mm -hmm. all like, building up to that. So you're probably right that they were salting the meat, as it were, up until that yeah. point mm -hmm. to get her good and scared. What do we think of Dewey? I mean, we haven't talked about Dewey or Tatum. I know. I was just thinking, like, there's... <laughs> I love, love Dewey. Um, I think they could... They present him as kind of incompetent mm -hmm. and kind of silly. Like, the first times we meet him, he's, like, arguing with his sister. <laughs> and it's like... And it's hilarious. And I can't even remember what he says, but it just it wins your heart, you know. And then you see Mom him like, says you have to respect me. Right, yeah. When I wear the same uniform, I'm a man of the law. <laughs> I just love yes. it. But he is, and I also, the moment that stuck out to me this time is when he gets to the party and he's immediately giving them shit. Like, are you underage, son? No, 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 I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. And it just, he's such a sweet character mm -hmm. and he never I think another franchise would have turned him into the killer at some point and I love that they never do they keep that heart to him and Gail too yeah yeah no he's um he's definitely the comic relief in this mm -hmm. like very clearly written to be the comic relief but he ends up taking on a life of his own as a character throughout the franchise just because fucking he's just so likable he's so he is. goddamn likable and I know even it, I'm at the point where like I can't like like a single cop in any media because you know I, but but I'll I'll make an exception for Dewey and for Columbo. <laughs> yeah. are, and he's got his um, theme song too. Like the, yes. doo, 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 doo. When that yes, starts he, playing and scream too, I'm like, I know yes! it's so funny. It's like... I think I, the one thing I was going to say about Dewey is just like I think that Dewey is once again like Wes and Kevin playing on the idea 
like so much of this movie is of like cops are useless um like in horror yes. especially mm-hmm. like yes like we all know cops are useless and that's like kind of what <laughs> dewey is presented as is like mm-hmm. the useless cop but like instead of being murdered right away like he keeps trucking and like making it through mm-hmm. the movie um so i do think like his whole character is like um a wink and a nod at like at that character subset in slasher films totally thinking of like how they frame some of the things like the scene where him dewey and the sheriff are kind of like interrogating one another and they're like outside and the sheriff is filling him in and the sheriff is like ripping butts and dewey's eating an ice cream cone and their movements are mimicking one another i think it's a really wonderful little thing it's also the sheriff is the um, deputy from A Nightmare on Elm Street. He's the one who's like, maybe I should go get, you know, detect- the detective talks. I did never picked um, up on that before. That's yes. crazy. Oh, man, that's so funny. And also the... Um, uh, Kelly is the coroner, for, coroner from New Nightmare. Um, but I like to think that this is like some world building thing where like the deputy <laughs> from elm street is like i gotta get out of springwood where all these fucking kids are dying <laughs> in their sleep mm. and i'm gonna go to some sleepy podunk town where nothing ever happens <laughs> and then bam like there's like mass murder like back to back years mm. at that point at that point i blame him right yes, exactly he's the he's got he's a death the, he's the, yeah he's yes. the link <laughs> um also shout out to henry winkler yeah yes. this is the start mm. This is the start of like Henry Winkler's like second act. Yes. And my God, what a second act it yeah. is. Like he's a delight. I was young enough. Yeah. I was young enough to remember him as the Fonz. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously very typecast in that role. Um, so when you see him on screen, it's almost like really funny mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, it's the Fonz. Hey, mm-hmm. you know. And now like he's his work in Barry, his work in Arrested Development, mm-hmm. his just like genial goodness. Like Henry Winkler is, I'm actually tearing up a little bit. Like Henry <laughs> Winkler is America. He's America's granddad. Yeah, yeah. At this point, in my God, 2020, if you take Henry Winkler, ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so apparently, he apparently is dyslexic and had a lot of struggles learning to read, and so he is mm-hmm. written or he's read a lot of audiobooks for kids to kind of guide them in like having the sound with the mm-hmm. picture um, or just being able to mm-hmm. access literature in that way. And I had this recording when I was teaching music that I would play of him reading one of the magic Treehouse version and he kind of spearheaded that. So he just, he's just a really good person, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think like this was maybe the first experience I'd ever had with him. Cause I just was mm-hmm. never really watched happy days. No. And it's just like, I think you can feel the goodness in his character, but you can also feel the love from the camera and from Wes and just, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's just, amazing you know and it's like fun fact is that his death is added in so that there's more action in the middle you know mm-hmm. yep yeah. and i i do love how they set him up as a potential killer mm-hmm. and then like you said add in that scene so it's immediately because when he's like flashing those like scissors in those uh-huh. two kids faces like it's not safe. there's some real menace there like the just the sound of the shears like snapping together mm-hmm. like it is it's fucked yeah. up <laughs> I don't know if you can hear the wind outside our house Ooh, right now, Laura. We were talking off air. It is like a massive windstorm. I literally right just tried to put my ear to the mic 
for no reason because yes. then I whacked into it with my headphones. So mm-hmm. I'm smart, guys. I'm so smart. Oh, SMRT. Uh, SMRT. I am so smart. Yeah. Well, is there any other scene, character, anything else we want to talk about? And I will jump in and say, bam, bitch went down. I love mm-hmm. that part. I'll send you a copy. I say that a lot and people look at me like I'm crazy because they don't know what I'm talking about. And oh, mm-hmm. I love it. But yeah, is there anything else that we want to call out that is just a really memorable or favorite part for us? The scene in the video store where you have Randy and Stu in the foreground. And in the background, there's that one young woman who's alone uh, in the background. And she's listening in. And as like Randy is getting more and more animated, she's like looking up and she's like, there is something wrong with this dude. And she starts looking around her like, <laughs> is anybody else catching this right now? It's a really little thing. Um, and it's so wonderful. It, it really adds to it really adds to it overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like the meta-ness of this, people are like, it's a meta horror movie. People know horror movies exist. It's a movie that is aware that horror movies are, exist, but it also like not afraid to kind of poke fun at the genre at a whole and poke fun at itself. Like Wes Craven very much like pokes fun at himself. I don't like that. He disses all the Elm street sequels. <laughs> ah, I kind of love it. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> there was all that he, tension with him and, and yeah, he, uh, you know, Bob, Bob Shea. And yeah. <laughs> I just well, love it. Cause he got that, burned. Yes. And so he's like, hey. it's just but, a bitchy little that, line. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I'm going to throw it into this amazing movie. That's going to live on forever. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There is not a bad Elm Street movie until you get to the remake. Yeah, um, I actually I agree with that. Actually, I I even like Freddy's Dead yeah. and Freddy vs Jason. I love Freddy's Dead. <laughs> um, my favorite, one of my favorite lines is because I just think it's so hilarious. Is The Exorcist was on and got me thinking of you. Mm-hmm. Like that's my go to. Like when I'm mm-hmm. flirting with a girl, <laughs> I throw that line out, and depending on what the reaction is, I like it kind of gauges. Because if they're like, if they immediately know, I'm like, okay, we're gonna get along just fine. <laughs> like, um, but like the girls who are like, what the fuck does that mean? Um, I'm like, oh, uh, backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. Excuse me? And let me introduce you to this amazing yeah. movie on our first date. Yeah. 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 But that line always cracks me up. Yeah. I think one of my favorite lines, too, is um, when Dewey's talking about um, being 24 for a whole year when he's flirting with Gail. Yes. It's just the sweetest. <laughs> like, And he's, yeah. he's pretty dreamy when he says it, too. He twirls. Yeah. He has a little twirl. <laughs> you know? It's like... He is like his bell of the ball yeah. moment. Yeah. It's so 24 for a whole bizarre. year. I love that. When he's, and to mm-hmm. see Gail kind of like fawning over him too, I think is really sweet. Yeah, I like yeah. how she starts like really skeptical and then you can just see it kind of being like, wait, this might be working for me. What the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I kind of see like that moment with Gail is like she's lining up like, oh, let's line up the marks mm-hmm. at this point. Like, you know, she's like, she she's like, how can I exploit this mm-hmm. guy? later on you know what i mean i I don't see that as her like maybe there's a future here it's more of like how can i use this dude to further my? it it definitely starts that way but it progressively it's like you can even like start to read it as like she was attracted to him but that was but that's just Mm -hmm. how she operates so Mm -hmm. it's like you know it's both it's it's both it's a it's both things you know so yeah (laughs) yeah the way the camera tracks um, sit, the movements with Halloween in the background, oh. or the way the soundtrack is playing. Oh yeah! Just again, 
It's going to sound weird to say this, but I don't think we appreciate Wes Craven enough. And you'll never find anyone that has a bad word to say about him. Um, everyone that worked with him was like, what a gentleman, what a scholar, what an incredible I, God, I, Mike, you're going to make me cry. I know. I, ad- I mean, I, I adore yeah. him. I love Wes. I, oh, I, yeah. I adore him. And, you know, that is the mark of a real genius to me is someone who can be so cerebral and intelligent and, and weave all that into his storytelling. But for the masses, they just see a pop fun hell as fun as hell mm-hmm. you know horror movie and the mm-hmm. fact that it could be both those things and it so up stands up to analysis is i'm doing the italian a lot of hand gestures today i'm doing the italian mm-hmm. chef kiss hand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and it's funny that you mentioned that scene because i had forgotten about that scene because there's so much in this movie that i love and i think maybe when i first started to analyze horror that's the first scene i would go to and then like i start to kind of dig into all of the other characters like gail and and sydney and like analyzing the minutia and i forget like how brilliant that is and just kind of commenting on the genre itself while using like the iconic scream queen but also creating a new one in a new way without stomping on the original like it's a love letter that like births a new the new genre because i like this was meta horror i feel like really kicked off at this point it's just amazing bellissimo buongiorno bellissimo yeah (laughs) all right well we love scream i think it's official (laughs) Um, So let's transition into our uplifting moment. (laughs) The the soundtrack to this uplifting moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think talking about this movie has been very uplifting for me, but nevertheless, emotions come in waves. And sometimes when we're feeling good, it can be the best time to make plans for the times when we're feeling bad. So let's share any coping or grounding techniques we've been using or any self-care in particular that's been effective for us recently. Does anyone have anything they would like to share? I'll just say, I mean, uh, something I've been working on personally. A friend of a friend of mine uh, and I decided it was something we need to do. I'm really bad at self care, honestly. Um, I'm really, really bad at it, and like, I, you know, I think that's a. <laughs> I've heard that's a tendency um, when you see someone who's like online all the time, who's literally just like spending all their time building other people up. Um, like, th- we're usually pretty bad at self care. <laughs> um, I feel like we don't like uh, afford ourselves a lot of that time um, for lots of different reasons. That would be a whole other show. But <laughs> the thing, like, I'm working on is um, like it's it's kind of silly but like we have started like doing mantras like daily kind of just daily things that we remind ourselves and like making sure we're making time to remind ourselves of those things Mm -hmm. um because i don't do that a lot like i don't give myself a lot of time um or like i will spiral or i will like gloss over things so like um like the big one for me lately um like the one i'm using right now that like is a good room just a good reminder is for me like um failures don't make you a failure Mm. uh that's like something i have to remind myself a lot Mm -hmm. of like because of my own like personal things that i um like you know struggle with like i often think that one failure means like i have failed Mm -hmm. and now i am a failure so like 
I have to remind myself that like daily failures or or these like road bumps um, don't mean that I have failed. But that's just something and like we're adding like things like that's one of the things we're doing and we kind of check in on each other like, hey, did you do your mantras today? Mm. Um, which I need to because like I need someone to keep me in check because I won't. <laughs> totally, um, totally. Yeah, so like having that person who – you know, ha- is like kind of along on, on that journey with me um, has been really helpful, but also just like um, either in the morning or at night, kind of just reminding myself of like certain things and like giving myself that space and that time has been helpful. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I like the idea of mantras. I think I've always been very resistant to things of that nature just because my base personality is to be a sardonic dick, um, just <laughs> mostly to myself. But I, I've been, I, my friend gave me um, a link to this transcendental meditation series. I was like very, um, I was like inspired by hearing David Lynch talk about transcendental meditation. And that's like a big thing in it that is different from standard like mindfulness meditation as it is commonly presented on apps and what have you now is focusing on that mantra. And I think having something really simple to ground you, because, you know, especially I also struggle with sticking to things and sticking to things that are good for me and good habits and making it as simple as you possibly can if it's just one phrase that you lack in on or a, a one breathing exercise I think can go a long way anyway uh, that's all to say I haven't done shit for myself this week no. <laughs> I've just just uh right. it's been it's been challenging my, my, I've been trying to exercise a little bit but you know after my bike accident it was a little challenging but my hand is finally starting to heal and I've been trying oh, yeah. to get myself back into it and mm-hmm. the, the the full body aches and stuff are finally gone so um just oh, just easing good. myself back in yeah, I think I had told myself this was the week that I'm back and I had that crazy week where I was real stressed out. And this week it, it has not been as easy to kind of transition back into not being really emotional as I thought it was going to be. So, but you know what? Next week's my week. So <laughs> I have been reading a book called Burnout, the the secret to unlocking the stress cycle, I think. And it's talking a lot about the stress cycle and how we process stress in our bodies and what happens when you keep yourself in that cycle. Um, And I'm not very far into it, but it's talking a lot about like specifically teachers and it's not just for teachers, but that like the stress, if the stressors are your students or the stressors are the administration, you're not escaping that. Like it's every day that you're working with that. And that just, I remember being in that situation when I was still teaching and just, I'm, I'm liking just the acknowledgement of, yes, this is taxing. Yes. Your body feels it. Here's something that you can do. And the, as far as I've gotten so far as move, move your body and either breathing or running or walking or stretching. And that kind of helps your body release that. Um, so I'm looking forward to finishing that book and helping me unlock the stress cycle. Cause I think it is specifically geared towards women and the ways that women like, see their roles in society and those are the roles that create this toxic stress that never seems to go away and that's why we get so emotionally burned out which is definitely something that I've experienced and my self-care has been I bought the Anna and the Apocalypse soundtrack um (laughs) finally I've just been watching clips on YouTube and just jam into that but I bought it I was tired earlier and like I saw um Terry posted what's your favorite Christmas horror and I posted no such thing as a Hollywood ending and I just I listened to that song like five times on repeat because it just puts you in the best mood I love that song so much you cannot not dance to it I love the whole soundtrack but that song's my Mm -hmm. go-to it's so good so that's my self-care and I'm looking forward to just wearing it out for the next like six weeks or so 
Mike, do you have anything you want to share this week? So it's been like a mm. rough couple weeks. I'm definitely at the end of my rope at this point, but I think I'm getting better at acknowledging it. It's opposed to like everything is mm. fine, you know, because I'm often like Kevin Bacon at the end of Animal House. Like, there's <laughs> nothing to see here. Everything is okay. But we, I, I'm definitely like feel like you know, I think like Friday. My whole day was spent, like, delivering food and clothing to, like, families mm-hmm. at the school that I work at. And I'm kind of like, mm, no wonder why these kids aren't doing great in school right mm-hmm. now. They got nothing to eat. So it's just, mm-hmm. like, just disheartening yeah. at that point. Like, this is the, you know, when you have, like, your 20th call with a family about how do we help your kid, like, pass this term and then mm-hmm. they don't do anything. You're like, after a bit, you're kind of like, why am I making these calls? Why am I having these meetings? So I'm trying to not take it personal is one thing. But also, like, I've been recommending, I've been recommending using a gratitude journal with others that I work with. I'm like, why don't I start doing this? So there's this thing called, like, Three Good Things. And it's basically each day, and there are writing prompts I use from a site called Therapist Aid where I can download some sheets to give myself some prompts, but it's really easy. It's just like one good thing that happened to me today. Something I saw someone that seemed like a good thing. One fun thing I had today, you know, that's my three for the day. And it just takes like five minutes. There's definitely been studies that have shown, like I think the university of Miami, Miami did one where they had 30 participants, 10 wrote like neutral prompts, 10 wrote negative. Like this is one thing that bugs me. And 10 wrote more like gratitude-inspired prompts. And the that latter group definitely had like lower levels of anxiety and stress and depression overall by the time the study had ended. So I'm hoping that that's going to kind of help out. It's something that I'm recommending with a lot mm-hmm. of the persons I work with, especially given the time of year it is. And, you know, a lot of us aren't going to be able to spend the holidays with people that we mm, kind of love yeah. and care about. And I think maybe we take that for granted yeah. sometimes. So, you know, it's um, something that kind of remind me like, all right, things are not awesome, you know, but they're also not mm-hmm. completely right. Right. I think that's really important to focus. I know for me, it, it helps me to yeah. focus on those things because I can easily spiral right now, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And Ryan, no. you were mentioning having a kind of an accountability partner. And I think that's something that um, I've done in the past and kind of fell off when I was still teaching. There was a group of about seven teachers and they would, we, they would all send me their grateful thing and I would just copy paste it into an email and send it out to everybody that day. And it was kind of this chain that we kept going. Um, and then summer hit and we kind of lost it and just what weren't able to really recapture that magic, but it really, it was nice to see other people see the things they were grateful for because it kind of gave you the ideas and I think it's like talking about our self-care it's like when you're struggling to think of something if you hear somebody else talk about the thing that they are doing that works or just the thing that they're happy about I think it kind of kickstarts that um in your brain and the fact that there were a group of us like if somebody didn't just couldn't do it that day like you could still kind of get the benefit of being grateful for things even if you it was just kind of a struggle to think of something Well, speaking of being grateful and being thankful, let's talk about our homework for this week because we want to hear from you. We really want this to be a conversation. Um, There are a lot of different ways that you can share your thoughts with us. And so our homework question for this week is, 
what are you most thankful for eating this week? Please, <laughs> please describe your food. Um, we want to live vicariously. I think um, I have just planned, I'm just going to make my own sweet potato casserole. We're not doing our family thing the way we did last year, but I really want to eat that and I'm yeah. just going to make it for myself. Can we take a couple minutes and review our, because this is coming out on Thanksgiving, It is right? coming mm -hmm. out on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Can we review our menus for the day? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know quite what mine is. Yeah, sweet potato I, casserole. <laughs> I, uh, I work on Thanksgiving. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, so it's just going to be Starbucks. Starbucks food. <laughs> yeah. Yay, well, get yourself a pumpkin pie for the nighttime for your secret mm -hmm. quiet, for your quiet time at, right before bed to eat a whole pie in bed. That's partially mm -hmm. what my plan is anyway. Um, or do you think you're over pumpkin by being around pumpkin spice all the time? Uh, definitely not. Pumpkin pie is my favorite easily and will always be my okay, favorite. Good, yeah. good, 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 good. I, I would have to question that if it was not the case. <laughs> I know my friend, my friend or my two friends are doing a thing where um, one of them works for, for basically he's some kind of he was a former chef and he knows he has like a food safety license. Um, so the two of them are separately going to prepare little mini version of a Thanksgiving meal and then deliver it to all of a bunch of our friends that live in the area and then we're all going to get on a Zoom call and eat the food together. Um, yeah, I thought that was like really sweet of them to just they just independently decided to do this because they normally host a, a Friendsgiving um, every mm -hmm. year. And obviously that's not possible. So they're going to like wear masks and like gloves while they prepare all the food for everyone. And I don't know exactly what's on the menu, but I'm sure it will be fucking amazing, especially mm -hmm. my friend Ben is making the desserts. And this motherfucker can bake a good dessert. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to whatever that meal contains. Mike, what are you cooking? You going to use your fryer? So no, we're going to be picking up the, uh, picking up a fresh turkey from the turkey farm. And it's going to dry brine for like three days. It'll just be rubbed in kosher salt and herbs. And then it will just dry brine and be super crispy. Uh, I'm going to put Ada in charge because she loves to cook mm -hmm. at this point oh, wow. and bake. Um, her and Claire were just baking bread, um, earlier. So it's like pumpkin infused bread mm -hmm. that smells heavenly. I'm going to put her in charge of the stuffing and have her do that. And like Wednesday will be prep day, but I'm going to do like an Adam Sandler movie marathon and in, in between movies, just kind of come back up and prep. So it'll be like a full Thanksgiving meal, like sweet potato casserole, mashed potatoes, green beans, turkey but then we just won't have to shop for like the rest of the <laughs> week mm. so and it'll just be the three of us we originally were going to have my mom and her husband up and i made the call last week i'm like the way the numbers are going yeah. like let's not mm -hmm. let's not put a risk you know let's not even bother yeah. but i gotta be honest one of the best christmases i ever had was like my wife and daughter got sick not like super sick but like enough where we couldn't go out mm -hmm. that day and they kind of rested up and i just watched like old wrestling on christmas <laughs> and like we mm -hmm. ate we opened our presents and i stayed in my pajamas and i'm like this is the best christmas ever <laughs> like i'm looking forward to just the three of us watching movies playing board games eating food yeah jumping on the trampoline and just like it's just the three of us and not 50 people when like 40 of them 
are going to tell me how, like, the election got stolen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just, like, looking forward to not dealing yeah, with Yeah, why so. deal with all the unpleasant aspects when you can just mm-hmm. eat all the food? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm thinking about that this year, and this year has kind of been, like, a reckoning and a reevaluation for me, and then I think maybe I just don't want that next year. You know, maybe when mm-hmm. there is no reason for me not to engage with the stressful elements of my holidays, maybe I just don't do it next year because I don't want to, you know? Mm-hmm. No. And I don't know yeah. if I'm ready to make that decision because, I mean, I say that, but that's a whole conversation I would have with my family that I just don't know if I'm ready for. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think what what this year has really shown me is that there are a lot of different ways to do the things I used to think there were only a couple of ways to do and that mm-hmm. – it's really up to me to make some of those decisions. Um, all that to say, um, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday today. Um, and that at the very least that you get a chance to rest. And Ryan, I know you said you're working on Thanksgiving. And this is this is in the future that we're talking. So I'm talking to future Ryan right now. But I hope that you have some time to kind of relax a little bit. And you know. Yeah, future Ryan appreciates it. I choose to work. Mm-hmm. I do it for my staff um, because... I, we never celebrated Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving growing up mm-hmm. because we always had to do it at my grandparents' house. And so it was always like around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so the day itself doesn't particularly have like any fond memories for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always offer to work mm-hmm. so that people can actually go do what they want to oh, do. Oh, well, well that's, that's really that's nice of you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was like, that does not surprise me at all knowing you. <laughs> um, so yes, our homework question for this week is what are you most thankful for eating this week? Um, we would love to hear your answers to this question and you can also share your general thoughts on scream and any grounding or self-care that's been working for you you can do all of this um, by following us at psycho apod on twitter and instagram we have a facebook page i recently remembered exists so look out for posts there but if you're on facebook you really should join our facebook groups there's the psychoanalysis podcast support group that's where we post homework questions discussion threads and questions of the day and you can also join the psychoanalysis a horror therapy family facebook group which is a listener created page both groups are private and moderated and i think we really um the mods really try to make that a safe space to share about some personal things but also just to kind of talk and get to know each other and you know share a funny meme and it's a really supportive place filled with just amazing people um and so yeah do all of that stuff and tell us what you're eating (laughs) And so, as November is winding to a close, although there is still one cool day left in the month, but we're moving into a new month, which means we have a new theme. And in December, we are going to be talking about killer kids. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Um, I'll I'll stop. No, no, no. (laughs) Can I do it one more time? One more time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's also going to be the soundtrack to December. So, you know, (laughs) let's practice. So, and I am. Honestly, I am nervous to approach the two movies we've chosen, but I think it's going to be great conversation. So I am nervously excited. The first movie on the topic of killer kids. We need to talk about it. Um, I am scared to talk about it, um, but we are watching Lynn Ramsey's We Need to Talk About Kevin. We do need to talk about it. We do. We do need to talk Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, Which they never do in the movie. And that's why we need to talk about it. Yeah. And I mean, Yeah. yeah, I've got some thoughts on that. So, yes, this is a heavy movie, but we are going to be following it up with some really fun comfort horror. And our second movie of the month on this theme is a little bit lighter. So 
We're going to do it. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be a good mm-hmm. conversation. So make sure you watch. We need to talk about Kevin because we need to talk about that ending. But we will give you a synopsis, too, if you just want to listen to us tell you how it, how the movie goes down. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. And there are lots of other network pods, including Halloweenies and the Losers Club. They just launched season two of The Assembly with David Cross. And there are some fantastic people involved with that season. So check that out. Um, it sounds really exciting and there is a brand new pod on the network called going there with dr mike which i am really excited about because it is all about music and mental health and each week mike is going to interview a musician and they're going to talk about how mental health affects the creative process Um, just for the record that's a different mike oh yes different mike yes not our mike (laughs) yes i have not a phd um not yet not yet i know I am done with school. That's kind of how I feel about going back to school, too. Yeah. Um, It's so, anyways, this sounds really cool and right up our alley. And, you know, we, I think we need to talk about mental health way more than we do. So make sure to check that out. And Ryan, I know that you have so much going on in the horror world right now. So where can we find you online and what's coming up for you? So uh, you can find most of my own reviews and like uh, editorial stuff at Ghastly Grinning, which is my own website that is all about like painting horror. It's all celebratory um, and we don't like we the main focus is just celebrating the genre, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's the goal there. Um, I also have started writing for Consequence of Sound, so I covered Beyond Fest for them. I will be covering the new Animaniacs cartoon <gasps> oh, when that oh. drops, um, which I'm really excited about because I'm a huge Spielberg fan, so I was uh, I was in love with the original series. Mm-hmm. I'm still writing my column over at Bloody Disgusting. You ought to know that is um, checking out horror movies from the 2000s, which I think is one of the most... Um, inappropriately maligned uh, <laughs> decades of horror. Um, and then my podcast is Keep Screaming, which I do with my best friend where we dive into slasher movies. Um, and my big project right now is the We Are Horror Zine. Mm. So the We Are Horror Zine, um, we just did our second issue in October, which was Slashers. Um, the third issue will be coming out December 15th, and it's about family and upbringing. Um, and that is a completely patron-like um like it's all patron funded um all of the money goes to all of the writers the editors um tyler who is the co-founder with me um tyler and i make zero profit off of it um and it is it was built around the idea uh 80 of every issue will be written by women by members of the um queer community the um black indigenous people of culture uh latinx uh, disabled, just the marginalized groups that don't receive the spotlight and platform that they need mm-hmm. and deserve, um, and kind of making room at that table and making sure that not just room, but they're paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. I think that's really, that's yeah, great. I think that was really important for Tyler and I was to make sure these people were getting paid mm-hmm. yep. um, for their work. Um, and because horror is so wonderful, like we have luckily, like we're up to 200 and something patrons um we're, we were able to up our we're paying a hundred an article now um That's which awesome, i think is yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah i think it's comparable with like fangoria for some of their stuff mm-hmm. um which was the goal right mm-hmm. it was like okay and like tyler and i were going to do it out of pocket at first oh, wow. <laughs> um yeah. yeah and just see yeah. what we could do mm-hmm. and luckily um we were like well let's see what we get with patreon and we'll supplement and luckily um people have uh really 
enjoyed it so far. So um, third issue coming out, and then we'll announce the theme for the fourth issue. I'll just drop it here, whatever. This comes out Thanksgiving, so we'll announce it. Um, it's it, it's We do heavy, light, heavy, light, like we switch. So family and upbringing is pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing horror romance oh, um, since yay. it's coming out in February. Um, and, you know, that can get heavy too, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping to see some fun stuff with, like, lots of the romances that we've seen in horror. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that will be February. Um, and you can find me online, Ryan what is it ryan larson yeah it's at ryan larson on twitter so uh, and i will say i have read the issues of we are horror and they are fantastic there's really creative writing there um it's really great um mike where can we find you so aside from psychoanalysis <laughs> uh we keep plugging along over on the pod and the pendulum uh we are by the time this comes out, we are doing uh, Urban Legend as our next series. But we're in the middle of planning 2021, and we're looking at things like John Carpenter June, um, French Extremity, uh, February, Jaws is going to be this July. Is it all gonna... alliterative? No, oh. it's just like those are some of the themes that we're trying to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> we are chugging along towards 100 episodes. We'll hit that maybe by the end of the year. Um, I thought we might get, I never expected to be on a show that would be going for like almost two years and hit that number. And then to have it continue to grow. Like it is my baby. Like I, (laughs) I take a lot of pride in it. So it's, it's definitely like, it's my little thing that I nestle. And I would encourage anyone listening to this, like head over because it's, Mm -hmm. if you like me here, then (laughs) you'll fucking love me over in that show because (laughs) we let it all hang out. Yeah, Um, Mike unfiltered. (laughs) Pretty much. The other thing I'll be doing um, by the time this is out, I should be on like the panel for the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 Leatherface reunion for Dread Central. Like Jerry's going to have me jump on for that. Um, I really like that movie. It's got its flaws, but it was the first Texas Chainsaw that I ever watched. So I'm looking forward to taking part on that Q&A panel. You can head over to Halloweenies and hear me guest on the Jason Goes to Hell episode, which is now out. That was a lot of fun to record. <laughs> but yeah, you know, follow me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. Um, Laura, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter I really regret starting to do this at under. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. At underalls, U N D E R A L L S, just like the iron chastity belt that you wear because your father, the king, wants to preserve your virginity until you are betrothed to the prince of a neighboring principality. To Carrie Elways in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, I'm going for a Men in Tights thing. Uh, and that's at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-E-L-S. Uh, <laughs> and I'm on Instagram at Instaglum, like Instagram, but with a uh, mood disorder. Uh, <laughs> and that's about it. You can also occasionally hear me on the Losers Club and Halloweenies just talking shit, taking names, fucking <laughs> beating the shit out of people. Sorry, I'm angry today. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, you know. A lot of emotions flying around. (laughs) (laughs) 
you can find me at Jen Ferratu on all of the socials. Um, you can find me here and also on the Losers Club. We just recorded today our episode on the Green Mile, and we had so many thoughts on that book that we are actually splitting it into two episodes. So you can hear my part two thoughts on the Green Mile coming up soon. I think the first one will probably be out by the time this drops. So yeah, lots of fun stuff coming up there. Just tons of King because the stand is coming back and I am going to have a lot of thoughts on that. But yeah, so that's that's where we are. And um, that's our Scream episode. Um, this was so, so much fun. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you for you. picking this movie because then I get to watch it again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I was When you asked, I was like, oh my God, I love this show. That's so exciting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this was awesome. I I could talk about this movie forever. Listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. We are so grateful for you. We couldn't do this without you. And in this total mindfuck of a year, one of the things I'm most grateful for is this podcast and the community that we're building around it. We couldn't Same. do any of this without you. And we are just so grateful for you that you choose to spend time with us. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> I don't know um, why you want to spend time with me, but I'm so you know. But, but the two of you, I, I get it. <laughs> pod, pod, podcasting has probably kept me sane this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Literally, it's given me something to focus on. Same. It's probably like kept me from going bananas. Yeah, Same. I agree. Yeah. So thank you. Um, and I'm so grateful. I'm not even going to be weird when we do our sign off today. <laughs> so we came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves. And we're, we're all, all out of bubblegum. <laughs> but we have stuffing. Yes, that's right. Delicious stuffing. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Bye. <laughs>